0: It's October 9th, 2013, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Burt Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we cover the geek beat here on Hawaii Public Radio. First, we'll look at the latest tech news and happenings in Hawaii and beyond. And joining us today is Lisa Gibson from the Hawaii Economic Association to tell us about the upcoming Economics of Innovation event.
1: Finally, we'll check in on the progress of the Office of Information Management and Technology in transforming the state's IT. We'd, of course, love your
0: questions and suggestions, ready to call in or tweet. But first, the headlines. As we mentioned on last week's show, the global conversation about climate change heated up on Friday with the announcement of the main findings of the fifth assessment report of the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And researchers at the University of Hawaii at Mānoa contributed to a 2,000-page report which up the collective certainty of scientific of the scientific community that human activity is causing global
1: warming. Oceanography professors Alex Timmerman and Mark Merrifield were among the more than 800 scientists from 39 countries that authored the report, which also cited several Hawaii studies and data sets, including readings from Mauna Loa Observatory and the Hawaii Ocean Time Station. The last report in 2007 said that it was very likely that human activities are affecting the global climate with a 90% confidence level. This latest report asserts 95% confidence, calling the human influence extremely likely.
0: Also, last, last week, the Pacific Islands Forum presented the Modular Declaration for Climate Leadership to the United Nations Secretary-General. The declaration has the express support of dozens of Pacific Rim nations ranging from Australia to New Zealand, uh, to Samoa, Tonga, Tuvalu and Vanuatu. The state of Hawaii became the first sub-national government to sign the declaration on Monday with Governor Neil Abercrombie pointing to the state's clean energy initiative and asserting that Hawaii is the only U.S. state and nation to adopt both a climate change mitigation policy and climate change adaptation policy, and of course, you know, last week we were talking to uh, Chip Fletcher and how you know the their studies and and based on some of the um, sea level rise is contributing to you know various uh, coastal erosion, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of documented. Uh, Uh, Evidence of of climate change. The thing that's also interesting, though, is that coincidentally, there's also this uh, evidence that the the Arctic is actually, in terms of the ice uh, pack, is greater than it was this time last year.
1: Well, the question is, is one year equivalent time to pick up a trend? And, you know, certainly there's the IPCC reports every time they come out. And mm-hmm. I would say now more than ever are certainly controversial uh, for sure. But I do like that they are basically trying to get a comprehensive overview of what the consensus is. You might have a lot of debate. There might be some people who have uh, readings and, con- and conclusions on opposite ends of the spectrum. But this is the opportunity to try and see what the collective uh, scientific community thinks. Mm-hmm. And it was neat to read the report and see that, you know, in the copious amounts of footnotes and citations, you have a lot of research that's done either in Hawaii or by Hawaii researchers. Like we've uh, talked about Station Aloha, which is kind of Mm -hmm. this offshore uh, monitoring station that has been running for 25 years, and they visit it every month. They just made their 250th research cruise to that station. So it's one of the longest data sets that we have of consistent um, data about for example, the climate and the state of the ocean. So Mm -hmm. Hawaii does play a part for sure. Definitely. All right. Next up, closer to home, the results of another comprehensive study were presented last week to the Hawaii State Legislature. The report, Assessments and Priorities for Health and Well-Being of Native Hawaiians and Other Pacific Peoples, was published by the John A. Burns School of Medicine. The study represents two years of work by UH researchers and 30 community partners in Hawaii and California. It's described as the most comprehensive collection of data relating to the health status of Native Hawaiians, Filipinos, Samoans, Tongans, and other South Pacific communities.
0: The communities covered in the study have fewer uh, providers of health care, less education, lower wages, and higher rates of of disease, especially diabetes, heart disease, and obesity, and the researchers note that most of them have shorter lifespans than other Hawaii citizens. Native Hawaiians, for example, typically die six years earlier than other populations. On the other hand, that's an improvement from the 13-year discrepancy observed in 1970. Uh, And the lifespan for Filipinos in Hawaii has risen to nearly 81, the overall life expectancy for Hawaii residents. The study
1: also calls out successful health programs, noting that incorporating culture and science can help. A cardiac health improvement study, for example, incorporated HULA and saw as much as a 20-point drop in the blood pressures of participants. And educational opportunities for these communities are also improving, with the UH Community College's Pathways Program for Native Hawaiians doubling its enrollment over 15 years.
0: And, you know, the uh, that study that uh, was announced, I think, uh, in early August was a, a hula study by Mele Look uh, from the School of Medicine, mm. and that uh, revealed how just the cultural aspect of hula and the practice of hula uh, contributed to the health benefits to Native Hawaiians and any, anybody who really participates in hula because that's a pretty strenuous uh, dance in and of itself,
1: right? But sort of like the IPCC report on a local scale, this was kind of a collaboration of uh, thirty different health centers that were established by the Department of Native Hawaiian Health, and um, just sort of giving an, a broad overview. They did sh- they did point out what the silver silver linings were, but mm-hmm. they did say that overall, the inequality in health conditions for uh, Hawaiian or Pacific Islander communities are still quote considerable and disturbing. Mm-hmm. So you know, a lot of uh, work left to be done. Um, the uh, the UH release also noted that it was uh, notable that when they made this presentation, it was a special session, a joint informational session. They had four committees: from two from the Senate, two from the House, and it was standing room only. So there's definitely also uh, they did give the School of Medicine a good audience to get a, get an overview of the health mm-hmm. situation.
0: Well, and I noticed that uh, you know having spent some time in places like uh, Marshall Islands and and the uh, Pacific Islands, there, I mean, one of the big things that uh, culturally is is very you know, easily accessible is, mm. is fast food. So when they come to the U.S. and especially in Hawaii, uh, it's not easy to just fish for your meals or, right, or right. you know, get uh, vegetables from uh, whether it's breadfruit or coconuts. It's, you know, a lot of times it's easiest just to go and get your fast food. So that is contributing to their the, the health situation. For sure. Next up, astronomers using a pair of instruments on the Subaru telescope atop Mauna Kea have concluded that a super Earth orbiting a sun is a mere 40 light years away has an unusual water-rich atmosphere. The exoplanet Gliese 1214b was discovered in 2009 and is classified as a super-Earth. While scientists have detected the presence of water for years, the latest observations suggest the water on the planet in an unusual plasma form. The observations published in the Astrophysical Journal were made using two
1: optical cameras on the Big Island Telescope, tracking the planet as it transited in front of its sun. They did not see the signature of a hydrogen-dominated atmosphere. Principal in Investigator Norio Narita uh, told Space.com that water is not in its usual forms of vapor, liquid, or solid there because the temperatures and pressures are so high. Instead, it's in an ionic or plasma form in the lower atmosphere of the planet.
0: Well, the planet is six times the size of Earth but doesn't have a solid surface, and since its orbit is 70 times closer to its star than our Earth is to the sun, temperatures are believed to reach 140 degrees Fahrenheit. Given the lack of Given the lack of uh, liquid water, oceans, and the proximity to its star, researchers say that the planet is probably not habitable. But additional studies may reveal more about its composition and how it formed. Now, the thing that uh, this this story talks about is the um, the water in a form that I am totally unfamiliar with, right. which is in its plasma form. Now, you can you can imagine steam, which is you know superheated you know water, but then. When Something get beyond to, that, yeah. Right. When you get beyond that, what is a plasma form yeah, of water?
1: I'm not sure. And it's uh, 540 degrees, by the way, not 140. I think if it was 140. It would be very comfortable, actually. But yeah, not not a not a planet that's habitable. But we've actually been keeping an eye on this one for some time in the Gliese, I guess, uh, system. But uh, 40. Light years is relatively close, mm-hmm. uh, but I, had, I went and researched. I said, Wait, so what are the closest you know, kind of planets that people are looking at for, uh, in, for habitability? And they're still the, the, the nearest best case would be Tau Ceti E and F. That's only 12 light years away, and uh, they're at the very edge of what they would call the habitable zone. Mm-hmm. This one, although it's got this plasma water atmosphere, it is way too close and way too, again, too hot, too high pressure to support life.
0: It's interesting to see how they actually determine the atmospheric uh, composition by watching the planet transit its, its star.
1: Right. And it's interesting that in, at this point there, there's no solid surface that they know. So it's kind of hard to even imagine or measure what the diameter is if there's more kind of a fuzzy line between atmosphere and planet. Mm-hmm, you know, it's mm-hmm. all kind of a continuum or a gradient. But uh, it's, uh, it's definitely very, very large and uh, very, very blue. In fact, they talked about using a blue filter to be able to isolate some of it to be able to image it better. And as revelations of government surveillance continue in the wake of disclosures of former Hawaii resident and NSA contractor Edward Snowden, an unusually timely conference is kicking off tonight on Maui. The Conference of Western Attorneys General, which is a bipartisan group made up of the chief legal officers of 15 Western states and three Pacific territories, is holding its Data Security and Privacy Conference with Hawaii Attorney
0: General David Louie featured on the program. Uh, Louis is moderating the opening panel tomorrow entitled Collecting Data for Government Use and Its Limits, covering recent uh, um, uh, precedents with the DNA evidence and automated license plate recognition technologies. The meeting coincides with the release of a white paper criticizing the recent passage of a law in Massachusetts that restricts the use of such technology, saying it's an effective and well-regulated tool for law enforcement in solving major crimes and protecting crime victims.
1: Meanwhile, state CIO Sunny Bhagawalia is participating in an afternoon panel covering solutions to protect state data. Other sessions cover big data, the implications of do-not-track settings in internet browsers, and the shift to IPv6, which is the next-generation internet protocol numbering system. Founded in 1982, the Conference of Western Attorneys General focuses on knowledge sharing and addressing emerging legal topics with an emphasis on issues that are common among Western states, such as water, fish and wildlife, public lands, and environmental protection.
0: Now, you had said that uh, it'd be kind of neat to be a fly on the wall at this uh, conference, and especially if they're talking about uh, the opening panel, collecting data for government use and its limits. And, you know, given the the recent uh, uh, revelations of what the uh, NSA is collecting, One of the things that uh, is going to be discussed at this conference is the idea of uh, license plate recognition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I initially heard about that, I thought, well, maybe, you know, I mean, it's uh, nothing wrong with checking on the license plate of a speeding car. But to the extent that they may have the technology to look at everybody's license plate Mm -hmm. and collect that over, uh, you know, a fairly long period of time and store that data, what do you think about that? Well, I
1: mean, that's certainly the hot topic at this conference, and it's neat that it's being held here and that our Hawaii representatives are participating in the program as well. Actually, uh, HPD has used um, automated license plate readers. I think that they broke the one that they had. They're looking mm-hmm. for funding for another one. Um, Neighbor Islands, as far as I know, have not implemented them. But yeah, it's a it's kind of a constant back and forth. Uh, this conference in particular is critical of the Massachusetts law and the ACLU. Uh, You know, case against this technology saying that it's, you know, uh, needless surveillance, saying that it's still a useful tool. I just think it's interesting that uh, even with HPD using it, from what I understand, I think it was Dave, uh, 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 Larry Geller of Mm Disappeared News, who was tracking the story, um, kind of says, well, they were using this, but they still hadn't determined their their data retention policies, who has access to information, how is it linked to other things. So I think there's more of the concern that they want all of those things thought out in advance before they start plugging them in. Well,
0: that's true. I mean, you know, technology for technology's sake is one thing, but if it's not incorporated into a a fairly well thought out workflow, I mean, it could be... It could be useless.
1: Well, I, I it's, it, but again, I would, it would be interesting to be able to attend this conference. I mean, the other topics they were covering drones, um, drones ID theft, yeah. of course, the, the, the Affordable, Affordable Care Act. And uh, they're even talking about internet advertising. So a lot of things I mm-hmm. think regular geeks would be interested in, not just government mm-hmm.
0: wonks. Well, finally, a couple of quick stories we wanted to share with you. The Hawaii Institute for Marine Marine Biology yesterday uh, um, said that it had received a $24,000 grant from the Disney Worldwide Conservation Fund. The grant will support the Institute's Collecting Coral Reefs Worldwide Project, currently focused on the reefs around Palau and their resilience to environmental changes like mass bleaching events.
1: And the Pacific Island Ocean Observing System, or PACIU's website, as we told you before, provides a wide variety of data and information on ocean conditions in Hawaii and around the Pacific. But now, surfers, fishermen, and other ocean users can access the site via a mobile-friendly version that was unveiled on Monday. The simplified interface which works on most smartphones allows quick access to real time information and maps showing things like wave heights, currents, tides, wind, and more. And if you want to check it out, you just visit packiuse.org.
0: And now joining us here in the studio is Lisa Gibson from the Hawaii Economic Association, and she's here to tell us about this upcoming event called the Economics of Innovation. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you, Bert. Well, so what is the economics of innovation, and maybe well, maybe you got to give us, give us a little um, background on who uh, the Hawaii, uh, the um, uh, Hawaii Economic Association
2: is in the first place. Okay, um, Hawaii Economic Association is completely volunteer-driven. I'm a volunteer on, member of the board, and this is their annual conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we had one last year. I think we, the most recent one was the year before. And the theme of the, by the way, it's going to be on October fifteenth at the Holly Kulani, and the theme is the economics of innovation and and the programming, the the various panels begin, and I'll run through them in more detail. But beginning with entrepreneurship, um, then moving on to how innovation is impacting our legacy industries of ag, energy, and believe it or not, fashion, which is a legacy industry. Mm-hmm um then we're going to bring in some of the next generation to talk about structures for the 21st century um and then closing with oh well i'll get to the keynotes in a minute we're going to be closing with the economic forecast with uh Dr uh Eugene Chian and some other very well known speakers um having to do with if you like data this is this is a a good group of guys well we mm-hmm. are
1: data geeks and I saw Paul Brubaker's on the program he has a, yeah. he's a he's an excellent speaker so yes. who are the keynotes though
2: well, the keynote, breakfast keynote, is uh, the new U- UH, UH VP for Research and Innovation, uh, Vasilis Sirmos, is, uh, you know, re- the new, re- new Jim Gaines, who's retired. And um, that'll be very exciting to hear what he has to say. And then, of course, we have Brian Schatz as our keynote at lunch. Senator Schatz will be joining us. Um, we, uh, and that's, as I say, for lunch. So the first, the first panel is going to be moderated by Carl Fuchs um um from H, from the hoist strategic mm-hmm. development corporation mm-hmm. at, within d And his panelists, and I don't know these two companies. You might know them more than I do. Joe Ganahl from Innova, Mm -hmm. Intova, excuse me, and, of course, Dustin Shindo from Pono Pharma. That sounds like a new company. Do you guys know either one of those guys? Pono, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: He he went from, you know, Dustin Shindo went from energy, uh, and then he jumped into the whole uh, sort of biotechnology arena.
2: Well, there you go. So this is about entrepreneurship at the beginning of the business Mm -hmm. cycle, which is, uh, you know, obviously, Carl's doing a great job, and he's going to be talking about the new investment program at the state Now, as well. Lisa,
1: you're moderating a session. As you mentioned, it is actually Hawaii Fashion Month, and there's uh, fashion activities taking place. So tell us about that, that panel.
2: Absolutely. The panel that I'm moderating is on ag, energy, and fashion, innovation drivers on the horizon for our legacy industries. So first is Dr. Maria Gallo, who's the dean of the College of Tropical Ag at the UH. She's going to be talking about the impact of innovation on Hawaii's food chain security, and that's a super interesting topic because when you hear about what's going on in technology with field management and barcodes and all kinds of things um, that can impact productivity and farmer profitability, quite frankly, which is an issue because farmers need to be able to make money in order to farm. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have a gentleman named Dr. Kang Wu, who is senior advisor with FGE Fax Global Energy. He's going to be talking about liquid natural gas energy market changer question mark so he he's an independent opinion on that then the last person on the panel is melissa white with the hawaii fashion incubator hawaii on the global fashion map and you're absolutely right october is fashion month and the truth is fashion is a legacy industry in hawaii and um, both melissa and her partner toby portner are doing a terrific job of bringing that industry together so um, as i say those are legacy industries um and then we break um, with a little networking. And then just before lunch, we have a panel called Structuring for the 21st Century, a New Generation of Leaders. Shana Travana from um, Smart uh, Sustainability will be talking about business trends in the new, towards a new economy. Um, Representative Chris Lee is going to be talking about policies which support business sustainability. And then we're going to close with Amy Brinker, who's with a very interesting company called KYA Sustainability Studio. They are a B Corporation, um, and B Cor- the, the corporate structure of a B Corp is a blend of how, how can you – serve the environment, and serve mm. your stockholders at the same time. I'm very interested. Um, it's it's an experiment, mm-hmm. and there are a number of B Corps out there, and Amy's been through it. I think Amy is quite an expert on that topic.
1: And, of course, as we mentioned, uh, there was the economic panel in the afternoon as well, but it's, it's, it sounds like a great program for either a data geeks or for, for people who are interested in policy or entrepreneurs who want to get a business started. Absolutely. If somebody was uh, interested in attending Signing this, up, yep. how can There they you go. Do?
2: Go to the Hawaii Economic Association website, www.hawaiieconomicassociation.com, and you'll be able to print out the um, information. It's uh, ninety dollars for members, one hundred dollars, one hundred and ten, I think, for non-members. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's <clears throat> October, Tuesday, October fifteenth, seven thirty in the morning till three in the afternoon.
0: Sounds great. Thanks, Lisa, for joining us. You are welcome. And that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Randy Baldmore. Uh, who's one of the deputy directors over at the uh, Office of Information Management and Technology, and he's going to tell us about the state's IT transformation plan.
1: What are the next steps in this daunting task? We'd, of course, love your thoughts or questions as part of the conversation, so please give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689.
0: And, of course, we're monitoring Twitter, so you can tweet us your questions at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Hello,
2: Michael Titterton here. There's a lot of stuff on the radio
0: these days, and most of it's free. Or,
1: to put it another way, most of the stations don't charge you directly. Instead, they sell the time on their stations to sponsors, and they pay for the content. But you listen to public radio. You want news reports to go into detail. If someone plays a symphony, you want to hear the whole thing. Actually, it's all about you. Without your support, there wouldn't be a Hawaii public radio. So please, consider an early gift to Celebration 2013, and thanks
3: when is being the underdog an advantage
0: things that we thought were real advantages actually aren't and things that we think of as overwhelming obstacles actually are incredibly useful
2: i'm lizzie o'leary malcolm gladwell next time on marketplace from apm
1: this evening at six following bite marks cafe
0: And welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lom, And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And of course, joining us today is Randy Baltimore, and he's a deputy director over at the Office of Information Technology, or well, Management and Technology. Now, uh, we know where Sonny is. Sonny is on Maui with the uh, Attorney General's Conference, and uh, uh, we also were trying to get uh, Keone Kali here. But uh, there's all kinds of things going on with OIMT, and we're lucky to have Randy to join us, so we'll give him the full brunt of our questioning.
3: Absolutely. Welcome to the show, Randy. Bert, Ryan, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And, of
0: course, so what are the benefits of implementing a new IT system and how will that benefit the citizens of Hawaii? Of course, we love to hear what you're thinking, and, of course, you can call us at 941-3689 on Oahu or one 941 3689 from the neighbor islands. And, of course, you know, Randy, we'll start with uh, something uh, rather simple, and, and I- I'm not sure how many people think of OIMT Every day, like you do, what is OIMT and what does it stand for, and what is your chartered uh, sort of mission?
3: So OIMT uh, stands for Office of Information Management and Technology. Uh, our mission is to help Hawaii become better, faster, and easier through IT. Uh, we are uh, an attached agency uh, to the uh, the Department of Accounting and General Services. Uh, we we were formed when Sonny Bagawalia, our state CIO, came into the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, And basically, we started out uh, with an assessment, uh, taking a look at all the systems throughout the state, throughout the departments, uh, to take a look at uh, basically where the state of Hawaii is from the standpoint of IT. But it's not just about IT. It's also about processes. At the end of the day, what we want to be doing is providing better services out to the community. Uh, We also want to make the working conditions better for our state staff so that they're able to effectively do their work.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm curious where the OIMT came from. Was it a rebranding or a reorienting of an existing technology department, or uh, was it chartered and created from scratch to to overlay all of these other these other departments? Uh,
3: OMT was set up uh, to help support uh, uh, Sunny Bagwalia when he came in as the state CIO mm-hmm. at the time. This is about two years ago, uh, and to this day. Uh, OMT is an office that is not just uh, about the state. It's actually about uh, a public-private partnership, where we have supporters out in the community, uh, namely the Hawaii Community Foundation and their their uh, supporters, the uh, Midiar Family Fo- Foundation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, through that partnership, uh, we are working together to uh, to help the state uh, move forward.
0: Now, you uh, had mentioned that it's kind of a uh, an adjunct uh, uh, department. Uh, Does it have plans to perhaps become a full-fledged department, part of the sort of, uh, you know, um, I guess uh, executive branch? And and what do you see perhaps evolving in the not-too-distant future?
3: That's actually an ongoing discussion that we're having uh, with uh, uh, not just the governor's office but uh, with the uh, various departments. Uh, ICSD is a division within Department of Accounting General Services Mm -hmm. Uh, they essentially manage uh, many of the applications throughout the state Uh, they also manage the the infrastructure and the network and so what we're trying to do is have a dialogue to figure out what works best for the state moving forward Mm -hmm. and uh, obviously uh, we're in a a period where there's uh, significant transformation being explored, there's new technology we're bringing in and all of these things need to be considered and talked about and uh that's the process we're going through right now. I think uh at the end of the day what we're all driving towards is uh you know a better better system to support uh as i said the citizens and also uh the uh workers throughout the state.
1: Now we've uh, covered some of the work that's underway. I mean uh, I would say that uh, any long-time geek kind of gets excited in a in a in an ironic way perhaps, to some of the stories that we hear. And, in fact, I'm sure many of our listeners, too, are aware that uh, a lot of the technology in our government is not particularly current. You know, there was the newspaper article on the mainland about payroll being handled with paper checks and pencils and shoeboxes. And uh, I know Sonny has talked quite a bit about a VAX system that is so old that you can only get parts for it on uh, on eBay. eBay, for example. Uh, when, when, when you're coming into this, I mean, just how— uh, I guess how unusual or how colorful is that that environment? Are you know it's not stolen tablets, but it sometimes
3: it seems like it's pretty close. Uh w- we have a lot of work to do, uh, to be frank with you. Uh we're working with uh paper-based processes. Uh you know, if you go through any of the departments today, you're going to see lots of paper. Uh I came uh from the Department of Taxation just before I joined joined OIMT and there's a significant amount of paper there. Uh, We're also working with outdated technology that's about, uh, you know, in some cases, 30 to 40 years old. Uh, It's based on obsolete code. Uh, It requires a tremendous amount of work to maintain those types of systems. Uh, So that's where we're starting from. But at the same time, this is really an exciting opportunity for all of us in the state to actually move forward, move decades forward with new technology, new processes. And it really will have a dramatic impact for uh, our residents, and our workers. And, uh, you know, it's 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 an opportunity to do many things. It's not just about building systems. It's not just about, uh, y- you know, s- certain services that are being provided. It's actually a way to bring the community together because really what we're doing here is building the highways for information for the future, the highways for interaction. And so throughout the state we can bring everyone closer together through the technology and we can remove silos and get people to work together. So that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's the opportunity ahead of us.
0: So up until the formation of OIMT, uh, my impression was that a lot of the departments were pretty much working in sort of their silo, so to speak, and uh, whether there's a need for a new system, a department would perhaps go out there and, and uh, requisition it and install it for for their uh, purposes. With... Um, and then, with a lot of the existing departments, uh, is it is it true also that you know when systems are implemented, the turnover of those systems may be a long time coming. So there may be Wang systems that are there; they're still working, they're still uh, fully operational. There's processes in place that are leveraging whatever the output is uh, from those systems. So the need to change that is perhaps not there. Uh, so what what I'm getting at is um, given the traditional I guess, processes that are already in place, what is it that's really driving the need to change at this stage of the game?
3: Well, uh, we can do better in terms of services. We can make uh, working with government easier. Uh, We can be more efficient. We can eliminate the paper-based processes. Uh, You know, if, if, if you ask my view, I think... Throughout the state, uh, there there are so many state employees throughout the state that are, in my view, heroes because what they're being asked to do is work with uh, antiquated technology and provide uh, great services out to the community, but based on 30 to 40 year old technology, and and it requires a tremendous amount of effort to support these systems, to maintain these systems. If you're dealing with paper based processes and you're dealing and you're receiving millions and millions of pa- pieces of paper every single day, and that's the working conditions that you're, you're dealing with. That's a very difficult environment, and many of these employees, they've been doing it for decades, mm-hmm. and they know they're using outdated processes and technology, but that's what's there, and they do it, and they do it to provide service to the community. And our obligation at OMT is to make that easier for them so that they can provide better services to the community.
1: Mm-hmm. I, although I can certainly see some resistance, for example, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We, this is how we've done it, mm-hmm. so why can't we just keep it going? Um, but uh, it's certainly a daunting challenge ahead. We are talking to Randy Baldi- Baltimore, the Deputy Director of the Office of Information Technology, talking about transforming the state's IT systems. And if you've observed something that you think you might be able to help or solve with technology, if you've got a question, now's the time to call in, 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, seven 877- Seven nine four one three, six, eight, nine, well, Randy, it seems like there's something in every department that someone could point to. It seems like there's probably a hundred systems within each of those departments that something could be improved. How do you prioritize what are the major areas that uh, the oMt is focusing on
3: um, out of the gate? well, there's many things we need to do there's things that are internal to the state in terms of how we uh set up our operations and how we support the different systems and the different services that are out there. And then there are more external things that uh, uh, are, are more visible to the residents of the state. Uh, we've broken it out into 10 areas. Uh, one is governance. Now, uh, governance basically means uh, policies and procedures and how we operate in terms of, uh, especially in this case, in terms of managing IT and supporting systems Uh It also includes how we work together in terms of managing the various transformation programs that we have. Uh, But we're also building uh, another uh, aspect is we're building an enterprise resource planning system which uh, truly is going to be transformational for the state. Uh, It's going to integrate seven core systems, seven core functions of the state. It's going to impact timekeeping, payroll, attendance, finance, budget, acquisitions, and grants. Uh, these are systems that are, are, are now basically in silos and to basically be able to bring that all of that information and all that data together and to be able to sync these systems uh, will provide tremendous benefits to uh, you know this the state in terms of how it uh, conducts its operations but then also uh, out to residents in terms of what ultimately gets provided uh, that system alone will uh, uh, Probably retire about uh, 120 current systems within the state, mm. all into one. The other areas we're we're doing work is tax system modernization, which uh, 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 certainly the the system that supports bringing in revenue into the state to support supporting funding uh, important services is critical. And so we want to make that as a, as efficient and effective as possible. The whole tax system modernization effort has been structured under a strategic plan that's centered on service. Uh, Service is an acronym. It stands for system reliability, expedited processing, robust uh, collections and analytics, uh, verified reporting, improved customer service, collaboration and education. So it's a holistic plan, but it's something that is going to serve everyone in this community and make us a more effective state and a a more prosperous state. Well
1: certainly when you talk about government services you need funds and taxation
3: is the way that's achieved and actually
1: I, I know that uh, there have been discussions in the past about uh, it's not so much um, raising taxes or changing tax policy, but just executing what's in place better, that there is a lot of missed revenue simply because of inefficiencies. And I would imagine because of your background with that department, you you bring a lot to that table. Um, with that system, do you think that it's going to free up any wiggle room for the state considering how tight its finances already are?
3: Yes, we're very hopeful that uh, putting in place a system uh, that we're planning, uh, that brings in the latest technologies that certainly creates efficiencies and makes it easier to analyze information, uh, to eliminate the paper-based processes we've talked about, uh, to make it easier for residents to uh, uh, to pay their fair share in the community to support the services. That that will bring in a, a significant amount of revenue, which, uh, j- as you say, makes us more efficient.
0: So the um, <clears throat> going back to the uh, ERP, the ERP is a huge... Implementation. I mean, that's going to span a variety of different departments, and and the RFP just got released. So, do you have a sense of timing as to when that will get, uh, you know, start looking at actually implementing an ERP system?
3: The RFP was just released last week, Mm -hmm. and uh, so there's uh, as with anything, there's a process involved in terms of uh, awarding the the uh, bid for for uh, providing the the service of the ERP solution. Uh, So that should take us somewhere in the range of uh, uh, eight months or so, uh, eight months to a year. And then uh, it'll take five years to implement this system. And as I said, this is something that uh, is core to the state. When this system is built... It's seven of the core systems of the state, so it is something that takes some time. It's something that we want to think through very thoroughly and carefully and be diligent in terms of our our effort in terms of planning the system. A lot of planning effort has gone into it uh, up to this point in time. Mm-hmm. It's basically about two years of planning, doing assessments studies uh, understanding the security parameters, all these different things that go into good planning and so uh, after uh, five years from awarding the bid. Uh, Hopefully, we have a system that uh, then integrates the seven core systems and serves our state better. You know,
0: we're talking to Randy Baltimore from the Office of Information Management and Technology. And if you have a question about how the IT transformation plan is taking place with the state of Hawaii, feel free to give us a call. The number here is or from the neighbor islands at 1-877-941-3689. I want to welcome Christine from Kapolei to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome to the show. Hi.
4: Hi. Um, I just I had a comment when it came to the in the discussion on why is this needed. I am a prime example of why this is long overdue and needed. Recently, uh, I became aware that I um, owed the property taxes on a state lease. Ironically, I moved out of the building in March, but I was in a bill in September for $45,000 in back real property taxes for this lease that I had out in Pasqualea, they report. I was confused and upset, didn't know where, how this could have happened and why it took nine years for them to send me the first bill. I went down to Hull Lake and spent seven and a half hours trying to talk to anybody I could, and I pulled the state drop the ball they didn't get the lease to the Honolulu Palais. the next week I went and spoke to the governor's office Mr. Bruce Copa, and told him my story and he looked into it and found that actually the lease was sent to Honolulu Palais or at least the, the tax assessor's office somewhere because it was an antique system and it was just paper somebody putting it in the mail it never got the right people now up with the tax bill and i got six days to pay it even though it was approved overnight years um this could have been avoided if we had a better system and it wasn't all just paper and people putting stuff in an envelope and licking a stamp and trying to get the right off.
0: well you bring Absolutely. up a great point christine and that's a uh, Exactly, I think what these systems will help to improve. I mean, if if there's uh, paper being transferred from one department to another, and then you got to go from one governmental agency to another governmental agency, and it's probably uh, as as uh, uh, antiquated there, you know, I, I I can see where there's going to be a lot of perhaps uh, dropped balls along the way. Yeah. Sure.
1: Um. Your, thanks for your call, caller. I mean, we're breaking up a little there, but I'm sure Randy, even just the 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 pieces of that story is familiar to you.
3: Yes, it is. And, and Christine, thanks for your comments. Uh, you know, this is what we're trying to do. We we want to make the serv- services better uh, for people like you. And uh, we know that uh, we do need to upgrade our systems at, uh, you know, in this case, at the Department of Taxation. Uh, and uh, this, this is going to take a little bit of time because these are complex systems. You can imagine uh, any system that takes in millions of returns of hundreds of different tax type, uh, of, you know, uh, tens of... Tens of different types of tax types uh, coming from all the residents in the state. That's a pretty complex system, but we certainly prioritized it. We thank the legislature for prioritizing it, the governor's office, and we're moving as as, uh, expeditiously as we can. And it's all geared towards uh, providing you better service down the road. So thank you, Christine. Great.
0: Then uh, you know I do, I do want to talk a little bit more about the, uh, the the tax system and give us a little timeline as to when that's going to happen. So I want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Randy Baldimore and how things are going with the projects happening over at the Estate IT Transformation Project. Is it even possible to manage
1: dozens of departments with dozens of systems under one plan? We'd, of course, love to hear from you as well. Nine four one three six eight nine is the number to call. Or if you're on the neighbor islands, you can give us a call at eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. This is Byte Marks Cafe. It's the aspiration of every young girl in ballet to become a prima ballerina. But it's a rare accomplishment, and that makes any opportunity to learn from a principal dancer a rare one. Romy Beppu has taken center stage around the world, and she's preparing students for a weekend performance.
3: She'll talk with her tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists.
1: Hi, I'm Alan Klein, author of Learning to Laugh When You Feel Like Crying.
0: Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about embracing life
3: after loss. Sunday morning at 11.
0: Welcome back. This is Bite Marks
1: Cafe. I'm Bert Lum, And I'm Ryan Ozao. We're talking to Randy Baltimore about how IT technology can be used to improve efficiency.
0: In addition to new technologies, how will you get different departments to share data with each other? And of course, you can give us a call here. The number is 941-3689 on Oahu or one eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine 941 3689 from the neighbor islands. And uh, right before the break, we we're talking to Christine about a, a situation that she had with the... Uh, Uh, tax department. And and Randy, you gave us kind of a timeline for when uh, ERP is getting implemented. And and of course, it's a multi-year process. And I can imagine, given the complexity of an ERP system, how that might be um, implemented over multiple years. But with a tax modernization project, I think it's probably equally complex. What is the timeline for that?
3: Uh, So uh, we're we're expecting uh, tax modernization to take uh, about three to four years, Uh, Once we start the work and, uh, you know, right now we're doing our best to uh, uh, in the same way that we did the ERP program and get the RFP out. uh, We're also expecting to get the tax RFP out here pretty soon. And Mm -hmm. uh, that'll allow us to start moving forward as quickly as we can. Mm -hmm.
1: Now, when we're talking about large ERP systems and revamping a tax system and all of these other systems, uh, certainly as a geek who likes technology and computer systems, the other thing that immediately pops into mind is that sounds expensive. I mean, how are these initiatives funded? I know that the creation of the OIMT and Sonny Baguala's position was assisted in part with support from the Hawaii Community Foundation, for example, but that's certainly not what's going to uh, transform all of these systems. You have to go to the legislature. You have to get funding. How is that progressing?
3: Well, we uh, we've uh, received good support from the legislature. They've given us funding uh, in the past, and they give us funding for the next biennium, which basically sets the way for us to be able to uh, fund programs such as uh, ERP, tax modernization, and some other programs. So, uh, you know, I, I had mentioned ten different programs that mm-hmm, we have mm-hmm. that are priorities. So, uh, you know, there's other areas where we're receiving some support, and and we're also receiving some federal support too. So. Mm-hmm. A good example of that is in the health IT area. So that's a program. Uh, uh, we're working on business process reengineering statewide. As you can imagine, when you're bringing in all this IT, uh, processes will change as well. And so we've got funding for that. Uh, open government, which I know is close to your heart, Bert. Mm-hmm. Uh, open government is something that's a, a major program. Um, at the same time, there's uh, there, there's the back-end side, the support side, that uh, has to be given attention as well. So these are things such as uh, consolidated infrastructure. Uh, our CIO, Sunny, uh, has a vision for an enterprise architecture that basically allows us to support each other from an IT standpoint, allows us to leverage common services and shared infrastructure uh, to be more efficient. And so uh, money has been contributed to help us to start to build that foundation. Uh, obviously, security and privacy is something that's very important. You mentioned the uh, Uh, some of the events that are happening right now centered around that. And so uh, we need to protect the state. And uh, so money has been contributed in that area. And then lastly, uh, Hawaii broadband. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've received some money to basically begin that process of uh, uh, doing the work that's needed to uh, increase broadband speeds, uh, bolster our lines into the state, and uh, work with uh, providers throughout the state to to basically uh, speed up the transmissions.
0: Now you um you mentioned a couple of things that uh, are is kind of near to, near and dear to us uh but what's been uh, in the news recently is is the the whole sort of health connector and and getting uh, getting your insurance online I don't know if if your health IT initiative is in in any way connected to that or associated with that is there a relationship between your health IT initiative and the health connector
3: The uh, Hawaii Health Connector is a nonprofit, Mm -hmm. um, but there are interaction points with the state, and especially the Department of Human Services. And, uh, you know, OIMT has a a role in that as well. Uh, We're basically supporting both of those organizations when it comes to integration points because there's some information that needs to be going between uh, the eligibility side out to the connector. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we have our part in this to help out. uh, And... uh, uh, it's 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 something that obviously we that uh these systems are just coming online there there are going to be challenges with any types of complex systems that go out there but uh, a tremendous amount of work has been put into building uh both uh Kalea, which is the d h s system mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and the hawaii health connector the exchange and uh uh knowing the t- amount of work that's been put into it uh, you know i think uh certainly we can we can do more and uh in the near in the future we're going to see improvements and better functionality coming out and it's going to be easier to use for residents but uh just the fact of getting up a system where now people can start applying uh for uh for health insurance which is obviously very important uh that that's an important first step mm-hmm. and uh we're going to do more it's something that we're committed to it's something the governor's committed to obviously it's uh, it's something uh the president's committed to as well so
1: we're talking to Randy Baltimore, Deputy Director of the Office of Information Technology, about the effort to transform the Hawaii's IT systems to improve efficiencies. If you've got a thought or a question about how this all might happen, we welcome your call at 941 or from the Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689, or of course on Twitter, at Hawaii or at ByteMarks. Um, you also mentioned as one of those 10 projects, the, uh, the Hawaii Broadband Initiative, and Something that we've tracked probably since the inception of Bite Marks Cafe, we get excited about undersea cables and um, you know uh, surveys about internet speeds ar-
3: across the state. Um, how is that progressing? It, it's progressing uh, well. We received funding for uh, uh, developing and planning and and uh, being able to put up some landing sites for uh, broadband lines coming into uh, into the state of Hawaii, which is uh, uh, an important first step. Uh, we, you know, have taken assessments to see where the state is. Uh, I don't think it'd be any surprise to anyone uh, listening or to you that uh, we can certainly improve as far as the transmission speeds, uh, but it's going to take some time. You know, we know there are communities out there outside of the state that are uh, really moving very, forward very quickly on this. Uh, you know, particularly in Asia, there's a tremendous amount of improvement in terms of. Uh, you know They seem to be excelling in terms of uh, broadband speeds, but uh, we want to get there too, and it, it, uh, all of this work that uh, we're describing today takes strategic effort and planning and bringing in many different aspects to this, uh, improving the network, improving the broadband, improving mm-hmm. the systems, getting data uh, removed out of silos so it can be shared. All these things kind of come together uh, and uh, are interdependent, and so uh, we, we have to plan and and design with all these different aspects in mind.
1: One of the stories that we've been covering is the Hawaii cable coming from New Zealand and Australia, and they say when they talk about their plan that their first phase would get from that area of the Pacific to Hawaii, but we've been unable to find where in Hawaii, where the landing sites is. Is that, is that essentially one of the projects that would be affected by the funding that you mentioned?
3: Well, I think we need to... Uh, to uh, Make Hawaii competitive as far as uh being able to get these lines. These are huge investments, and so that's where you know I'm talking about uh all these other aspects because we've got to make a Hawaii a place where uh, uh other nations and you know will want to land their lines and so it's something we're we're sensitive to It's something I know Sonny's, uh spending a lot of time on and Keoni as well to to uh to make sure that we're uh positioning ourselves well so that uh, as these nations uh, make their decisions where to land their lines, that they definitely consider uh, the state of Hawaii.
0: Now, you know, one of the things that we heard quite a bit about uh, early on in in, uh, Governor Abercrombie's term was the uh, gigabit initiative and the idea of getting fiber optic and and, uh, affordable gigabit speeds uh, to the home by the year 2018. Now, I know that you know we all talk about broadband we i don't all... want to
1: describe the face he just made but okay
0: <laughs> i'm not looking at him so i won't i won't go there but the idea that uh, we're we're talking about broadband we've been covering you know the the uh sort of the projects that impact our broadband capability but we've not heard a whole lot about the gigabit initiative and is it is it being kind of played a little bit quieter these days because perhaps uh, there are some challenges uh, you know in in the uh, uh you know sort of in the future, that might prevent us from actually getting to that point. Uh,
3: it's, it's it's not something that uh, uh, we're being quiet about. We 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 actually, you know, the, at the end of the day, we're just trying to sp- uh, speed up the broadband speeds and get there as fast as we can and make it, uh, you know, as great as we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're actively doing that. But uh, the reality is that uh, many of these problems we're talking about. There there are problems that have to be tackled from both the public and the private sector. They can't be solved just through a government solution. You need to bring in the uh, local utility companies and work with them and figure out how to provide the service out to the home. And so those are discussions that uh, we're engaging uh, with uh, the private sector on a daily basis. Uh, We're also speaking with other nations and investors uh, to see if they can help us in terms of... uh, you know solving these issues that Hawaii has, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. we are still trying to create an infrastructure that is uh, world class and we're planning and we're st- uh, developing uh, you know strategies for 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 doing that. but uh, it takes a holistic effort. It takes uh, the work and the partnering of of many different stakeholders in this community.
0: That's it's in of itself. Just you're describing it is definitely kind of a daunting task. And I was just going to ask you how many people actually work at OIMT. I mean, uh, you could probably have a thousand people there uh, doing all these projects and still not have enough.
3: Yeah, the the office itself has uh, between uh, ten to ten to fifteen folks, um, depending on um, you know uh, how you're classifying certain mm-hmm. individuals mm-hmm. helping out. But we have a combination of of uh, state employees that have come from different departments to people who came uh, first through just through OIMT. Uh, and uh, the the reality is that this is a state effort. It's not about OIMT. It's about the work and supporting the departments and servicing the residents. And so when we talk about transformation, it's about bringing everyone on board and uh, getting the types of information that are needed to build these systems. It's about getting the subject matter expertise. It's about uh, figuring out what the residents out in the community need and want and how to address those needs. It's it's it really does require, uh, uh, if you will, community building and sort of uh, interaction at a very broad level because these are You know, I've mentioned some of the systems: the Enterprise Resource Planning system. Uh, You know the 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 different types of enterprise architecture things we're doing and consolidated infrastructure. There are stakeholders throughout the state, inside state and outside the state, that we need to consider and engage in dialogue. So while OMT is a small office, uh, we are working with the entire state uh, to do this transformation. And one of the visions that uh, we do have at OMT is to create uh, a prosperous. Ecosystem for Hawaii that uh, that is not just about uh, government. It's about working with the private sector. It's about engaging the private sector. We're hoping with these investments that we are able to bring in, uh, you know, uh, uh, IT. Uh, uh, Professionals uh, that are in this community that can help out. We also uh, engage with the various universities to start building the training and the type of expertise and skills that uh, are necessary to get our students so that they can participate in this because mm-hmm. this is the infrastructure of the future. So one of the things we set up is the Transformation Internship Program. Which just started this year, but basically uh, at this juncture, about a hundred students have run through this this program, and they've had the ability to actually participate in the different transformation events that we have uh, have the different transformation programs that we have. So you can imagine students getting the opportunity to get some experience on. Building an enterprise resource planning system while in school and then coming out and being able to be in the private sector and then potentially actually support a system or maybe it just makes them more marketable out in Mm. in, in terms of their careers and they can go uh, anywhere and and do this type of work. But it it really, uh, just going back to uh, what I was saying earlier, it's really about building this uh, ecosystem to support IT uh, and uh, this balance of interaction between government and the private sector.
1: Well, certainly academic academics sounds like it's a significant part, and I suppose it's good that the current interim president of the University of Hawaii was there. Is there chief technology officer David Lastner? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, trying to build this community and try to get all de- departments on board kind of sounds like herding cats. Uh, I know that the every budget request that goes to the legislature, no, nobody gets you know exactly what they're asking for. I am curious about uh, the upcoming legislative session. It's something that Bert and I were going are going to focus more and more on as well from the technology standpoint. But for o, for OIMT, what are the top items on that list to 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 further sup- get support for what you're trying to do?
3: Well, the top items are the, the 10 areas that I mentioned. Uh, the enterprise resource planning system, because it's the core systems of the state, is uh, probably at the top of that list. Uh, and we got funding from the legislature. They're very supportive as far as the ERP program is concerned. So we have the capability to move forward and uh, start building that system. Uh, we'll, no there's no question we'll need additional money to support these various programs uh, over time, but uh, certainly we've been given a good start, and we're really appreciative of it. And so now our focus turns to implementation and starting to get these programs and starting to build these systems. And, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll uh, cross that bridge when it comes in terms of asking for additional money. But whether we ask for that money this next session or um, actually... Uh, is is uh, something that uh, I think, you know, we can certainly de- uh, have debate about mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we did get funding for the buy name, and, and uh, it, it is going to allow us to to uh, move forward and start doing the work we need to do.
0: In the last minute or so, what do you think is going to be your biggest challenge, I guess, uh, going forward? Well, uh,
3: you
0: yeah, know... All of these things that you're describing are great. So I would think that there'd be a lot of support for it. But what do you think is going to be the most challenging?
3: Well, uh, the... Uh, responsibility that we have is to bring everyone on board so that they can participate in this. It's, uh, it goes with the territory of, of trying to uh, create a transformation that uh, impacts the entire state and all the different departments. And so we have a focus on, on bringing in uh, the, the different departments and the state employees, but as, as well as the community to help support this effort.
1: Where is, is there someplace someone can go online to learn more about what you're up to and how these things are progressing?
3: Sure. Uh, please, please go to our OIMT website and uh, uh, check us out. We have lots of information up there about our transformation programs.
0: Sounds good. And also there's the uh, Transform Hawaii government that's uh, also you know, helping to communicate things that are happening with OIMT. So uh, Randy Baltimore, we wanna, who's the deputy director over at the Office of Information Management T- Technology, we want to thank you for being on the hot seat today.
3: Thanks, Bert. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks
1: Cafe, as he said. Join us next week when we'll delve into the tech behind flu immunization.
0: And if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at dot org. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at ByteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive
1: producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich.
0: And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called No Sash Thing and a song called Snap. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.